for joining me for the Plant Yourself Podcast. I'm your host, Howie Jacobson. As a coach, I use language to help people get better, perform better, excel at what they're doing. I use language to help align teams. I use language to help people change their habits and behaviors. And so today I wanted to talk to someone else who does that, who's also written a book. You know, my methodology is in You Can Change Other People with my teacher and co-author Peter Bregman. And today I'm talking with Tom Reed, who's written a book called Task, Performance-Based Communication. And I know Tom as a leader because he is the on-field captain of my Ultimate Frisbee team. And I have been noticing ways in which he has been using language to help us on the field get aligned, to help us be more efficient in practices, to help us perform better in games and tournaments. And so we got together to talk about all things communication around performance. Tom is primarily a business consultant, so a lot of the conversation revolves around business. We, we, we come up with a, a scenario in which I am the imaginary owner of an imaginary small chain of pizza restaurants, and he helps me work through some of the imaginary issues that uh, I'm having with my company, with my imaginary company. And we also talk about um, personal behavior, relationships, um, health issues. So it's a wide ranging conversation about all forms of communication in which the goal is to help people be better, do their best. So I hope you enjoy. Without further ado, Tom Reed, welcome to the Plant Yourself podcast. Thank you, Howie. You're <laughs> one of the few people who's ever recorded in studio. I love it. I'm happy to be here. I am excited and fired up to be here. Yeah. So we're mm -hmm. going to talk about communication. We're going to talk about Probably ultimate frisbee. We're going to talk about <laughs> your book, Task Performance Based Communication. And I just want to start by um, just kind of introducing you in terms of you're a guy I've played frisbee with for many years. For 20 years. Close. Long time. Yeah. yeah. And, but I didn't really like, you were just a guy I played with for many years. But then um, I joined the team, mm -hmm. the, uh, the old men's team from, from the Triangle of North Carolina. And you're our, you're our on field captain. And I noticed that you were communicating with us in ways that seemed very intentional, very focused on both outcome and relationship. Mm -hmm. And I just had a sense that you, you, know, you, weren't, you weren't just sort of randomly talking, that, you, that there, were, there was a... People think I'm random. <laughs> People, they really do. People think that I'm kind of winging it. But really, I'm doing two things. One is... I'm looking and listening for what's happening in the room. And the second thing is I'm trying to tie it back to whatever agreed upon strategy that we've aligned around uh -huh. is to be executed. So that's kind of that's my initial algorithm on, you know, whether it's business development or team captain or any, any of those things. I like to start with what are we trying to achieve uh, what are we trying to do? What trying to outcome? What kind of outcome are we trying to propagate or forward? So, for example, um, in any meeting, I want to know why am I here? Uh -huh. Why are you here? What is the outcome that we're trying to impact or influence? Even if it's just processing. So we're trying to frame a question. We're trying to answer a question. We're trying to uh, understand a situation. Uh, that's, for me, uh, that's something that I think some people, many people, uh, don't spend enough time uh, thinking about. 
It's like, well, it's 10 a.m. It's time to go to the management meeting. Uh-huh. Well, so, so this is what... what you want to go old school? Old school is like, okay, I know how we can get performance improvement. We'll just have everyone stand. Uh-huh. How about you go fuck yourself? How about that? Hey, listen, maybe standing is a good idea if uh, it makes sense. Or if it's fun, or if it's interesting, or it gets people revved up, whatever it is. But if you're doing it because you want people to be uncomfortable so that they'll be more efficient, eh, that's, not, that's not so cool. All right. I just want to say, I was, <laughs> I was on a podcast yesterday, and before we started, the guy warned me that it was a family-friendly podcast, yeah. and hell and damn were considered curse words. I've already plowed right so, through that. So I was nervous the entire time. Not that me. I was, so we've <laughs> Clearly I'm not. We've, <laughs> so we've, take, we've taken care of that. <laughs> right um, So, I mean, one of the things I'm thinking of, though, is, um, so, you, you know, you do um, business development. Mm-hmm. You've done social work. Mm-hmm. Like, there's something different, though, about, like, playing in a, in a game. Mm-hmm. And because, you know, we're running around, we're bumping into each other, we're scoring, we're dropping it. Mm-hmm. There's emotions there. Right. And most of the time, like I've, I've been captain. You were on teams where I was captain yeah, at sure. Carborough League. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I, I, in those days, I wasn't, I wasn't really thinking. I was reacting. Okay. Like I would get upset and I would say something. Right. Or I would be You're happy and I would I say see. something. Yeah. Very passionate. Mm-hmm. But the idea of like reacting is kind of the opposite to the idea of, what do I want to happen? Because mm-hmm. when I'm reacting, I'm just trying to take care of like my emotional needs ah, in that moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I see what you're saying. Uh, from from a you know from a team perspective, uh, I while I love the game of ultimate frisbee, which I, I hope the listeners, the viewers know what that is. But that's a tough game to draw analogies from. But I like to draw examples from baseball now. I know maybe it sounds a little hokey, okay? But I got to tell you, baseball has more business, uh, what I call algorithms or, or things that you can. Okay. What you got? Oh, let me say, quick, quick sidebar. 1956 World Series, the teams would be the New York Yankees versus the. Brooklyn Dodgers. The Brooklyn Dodgers, who are game, now, f- game five. Okay. Don Larson's perfect game. Oh, wow. Okay, now how did you? Uh, my my dad was at the game. Okay, we'll we'll, we'll, we'll leave that visible. I love it. That was a great sidebar. So you support the baseball analogies. Love baseball. Okay, so here's the baseball analogy that I use. That you've heard me use in ultimate frisbee. There is a uh, difference between making a mistake that's a thinking error versus a physical error. So, for example, if you're an outfielder and you're trying to throw somebody out at third base and you get the ball and you throw it because you're like, I'm going to be a badass and I'm going to throw it the whole way and I'm going to be the hero. And then you have an errant throw and you looked off the cutoff man. That will be a thinking error. So that's so in terms of course correcting that behavior, that is. Uh, it, it's helpful to have the athlete or the worker to understand what is the difference between a thinking error and a physical error. Because in that moment, the outfielder thinks it's a physical error. Because he thought, I can do this. Mm. I'm really good at throwing the ball hard. Well, really, what we need you to do is hit the cutoff man. Mm-hmm. Right. So when you're working with someone, I mean, you know, there are things that we, we don't do well 
um, just because we need practice and we need sure. to develop ourselves. And those are some conversations. Mm-hmm. When you're talking to someone and you're seeing that they're making mental errors and they're usually systematic. Are you talking about in the workplace or in the, or in the sports field? Let's say anywhere. Okay. okay. Let's, I mean, okay. so I mean, most, most people listening to this are not here mm-hmm. to get better at ultimate frisbee or baseball. Mm-hmm. They want to be more effective in their influence in people's lives. Mm-hmm. They, right? So, you know, we, we both have books about how to mm-hmm. talk to other people to, to accomplish stuff. Mm. <laughs> Right. So um, and, but, we've, you know, we've talked on the sidelines about I want to know why, though. And I know it's, I, I'm not saying here's what I'm not saying. Uh-huh. What's your why? Not, not to, to be disrespectful to that person, but I really want to know why. Like if someone wants to influence someone or impact someone or propagate something at work, let's just use work. I honestly want to know why. As in why bother? Mm-hmm. More like what's driving you. Uh huh. Is it, you know, the, the, uh, Colin Powell, who just passed away, if you've read his biography, uh, one of his famous quotes is, fear is not a good motivator. Mm-hmm. And in the military, which, as you know, he served, fear is often used in, in, in to control behavior, to mitigate bad behavior. Right. Uh, it's used punishment and fear. And he was a pro- proponent that fear is not a good motivator. So if someone's in the workplace and they have fear of losing their job or fear of not getting a bonus or fear of whatever, that's going to drive their behavior. I want to know why. I, so if fear is driving them, I need to know that in order for me to do my job. Okay. So suppose fear is driving someone. What? Oh, I'm, yeah. sorry, I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> right. are, do, do you do you work with that, or you try? Do you try to? Um... This is where this is where clinical social work meets the confluence of business. Okay, is there's an expression in social work called or therapy called start where the client is at. All right, I'm I'm gonna take notes. Sure. Because I'm gonna have to write this up later, <laughs> and, and I like to yeah. I like to look at the things that I. Is that a takeaway? That's, that's a, a takeaway. Take well, yes. you, you said it. You said it slowly, yeah. so I know it's a takeaway. <laughs> that's, that's a good habit I've gotten into in presenting. Start where the client is at, and that and in all of my coaching, I talk about being authentic and aligned. Those are two things that are usually going to help in any communication. And I think people overestimate and get overattended and focused on alignment, which is great, but they underestimate the power and influence of being authentic. Um, so define those. Authentic. Well, let's, go, let's do aligned. Aligned is easier. It's do two people or multiple people or even yourself. Are you aligned with yourself? around what it is you're trying to do, why you're trying to do it, what is the plan, the strategy, the plan, and the execution. Let's call it that. So those are the three layers, right, of business. Strategy, plan, execution. Okay. Is your alignment. Cool. Now tell me if there's an authentic passion. Are we all on the same page on how we are doing what we're doing or how we are talking about it? I'll give you an example. I was doing a training where uh, I was teaching people how to use the software that we had developed. And these two staff were working, and they weren't my staff. And uh, I had made a comment in this big group that, hey, you know, you can, this, this software is so cool that you can use it. I was kind of, you know, selling the, 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 the ease of use. 
And I said, you can kind of, it's cool because you can kind of help each other. It's that easy. And this one lady turned and she said, I don't give a fuck about her. <laughs> and she wasn't joking. Like it was, it's kind of a cutthroat place, but <laughs> I was like, whoa, she was not joking. So authentically, she, you know, her strength is that, you know, hey, she's trying to get done in her mind what she needs to get done and to stay focused on that. Cool. That's her positive intent. We can see that. Mm-hmm. But that has an, a ripple. It has an effect on those around her. Okay, so I think being authentic is, um, I didn't really define it. I think, it's, you know, it's you know, being true to yourself. And I, honestly, I think it, I bias towards being positive. If someone is authentically a horrible person, we got an issue. Mm-hmm. That's why you say, you know, uh, hire slow, fire fast, right? You've heard that expression? Hire slow, fire fast. If someone authentically sucks, you got to exit them. How about that for a coaching stance? <laughs> well, so I, I want to go back to this idea of positive intent and this, sure. woman, and this woman who sure. who came from an authentic place saying, I don't give a fuck about her. Mm-hmm. So there is something valuable for the team in there. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. So they're like one person's authenticity mm-hmm. often there's only one authentic person on the team and they're the person who's ostracized right because everybody else is playing nice everybody else is hiding their feelings and there's only one person who's willing to risk i think everyone in that situation everyone is is articulating their version of authenticity so for example those who who you say are quote hiding there's for them, there's an, an authentic expression of wanting to keep a low profile or I'm wanting to stay safe. Whatever it is that they're trying to do, that's their authenticity. But when it comes to business, you know, let's get back to business and baseball. Uh, baseball, if you win 100 or 100 plus games, you're probably going to the playoffs. Like most baseball teams, they want to uh, reverse engineer it. They want to win the World Series or you want to win the Super Bowl. That's also a good example. Football players don't play to go to the Super Bowl. That's a losing mentality. They, they play football to win the Super Bowl. So there's an authenticity, there's, a, there's an alignment that the team can have for why should I hold this block a certain way? Why should I, I fire up out of my stance when I'm tired? Why should I do that? Because we, as a team, we're all aligned and we each have our own authentic way of contributing to that. Some people are cheerleaders. Some people are get your head out of your ass people. Each one of them are authentic. Okay. So what does inauthenticity look like then? That horrifies me. In, 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 in authenticity and apathy are the two things. If you asked me, Tom, what are the two things that, that intimidate or scare you when you're coaching uh, business, mainly business? Those two things. Because if people, if people truly don't care, it's like, shut down the assembly line, put on the emergency, emergency brake, we got a problem. We, you know, we, we should not move forward until this problem is resolved. Uh-huh. Apathy, the lack of care for the outcome scares the shit out of me. Okay? And then inauthenticity, inauthenticity scares me because what it implies is that there's mobility in what someone is trying to achieve. So for example, one day I want to be on time. Next day, I don't care about being on time. Next day, I'm going to hurt your feelings. Next day, I'm going to be nice to you. Whatever it is, 
there's to me there's not a path that they've picked. So so inauthenticity is diagnosed by inconsistency on on sort of these. I would I wouldn't use the word diagnosed because it's a clinical word, but I would say right. it, it's indicated or you you know uh-huh. that, that's how I would look at okay. it. Because mm-hmm. one of the phrases I heard you say earlier is positive intent, mm-hmm. and so I love that you're looking at this person who is, you know, saying, I don't care about my teammate and saying, well, there's positive intent behind that. Why wouldn't I? Why wouldn't I start there? Well, so then you're but then you're also saying that these people who are hiding are also they're trying to protect themselves. There's always positive positive intent, intent too. Yeah. This is where people get jammed up. In fact, uh, the book really is you could say it's if you could pick one thing in the book and say, Tom, what's the thing that you know, give me, there's only one thing I could take from this book. What is it? Assume positive intent. Why? Because it's there. Where people get jammed up is when they go, I don't see it. Or they say, their behavior is so bad, there is no positive intent. To which I say, sorry, you're wrong. Uh, and it becomes a negotiation of whether someone's open or not to be able to hear the conversation. But ultimately... You bite, you separate out, okay? You bifurcate behavior from intention. And if you take your time to do that, it solves all of the dissonance about, are they a good person? Did they do a good thing? We can separate all that out. The behavior and the intention are separate. An intention can be good and a behavior can be bad. In fact, it happens a lot. Right. Well, that's in psychology, I guess. That's the, the fundam- fundamental attribution error. Okay. Whereas whatever I do wrong, mm-hmm. it's, well, I had good intentions. I meant to do well, but I messed up, or I didn't have the right information, or I was that overwhelmed. La- that last part is really tricky. So let's slow down a little bit. Like, you, like I, I tried to do the right thing all day long. People are driven to try and do the right thing. Now, this last thing about information, it's changing right in front of us right now. Like, the... the, the um, the algorithms for, for um, the, what's the AI? What does that stand for again? Artificial intelligence. Yeah, artificial intelligence is, is grabbing what interests you and me and in our news feeds. And it's shaping and giving you that and feeding every person who's a user of that service now is getting different vantage points of uh, news, for example. So in any given day, we can look at the, the same newspaper and go, well, I would debate you on this topic, and I feel this way, you feel that way, but we're running off the same information. But the way that we're getting information now is so biased because it's it's being um, it's leaning towards however we like to use information. Right. Well, that's that's what I'm saying. Like, so when when I mess up, Mm -hmm. my explanation is always assuming my positive intent Mm -hmm. because I always want to do the the right thing. Mm -hmm. Right. I believe you. But when I look at other people's behavior, Mm -hmm. my default is to blame them is to say, well, they have bad intentions. Mm -hmm. Right. So so it's this this, um, you know, it's we're 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 putting a different standard on other people's behavior than ourselves. What do you think for you? It would be the action or the accommodation to not have that first reaction be to question the yeah. intention. What would that, what would it be for you? Do you think? So for me, mm-hmm. it's very often when I when I judge somebody else and I go, "Oh, that person's an asshole," <laughs> I feel a little bit bad myself. Okay, right. So often I start with myself and I say, "Well, you know, I'm I'm having a negative judgment about them. Why?" Good What's, question. What's so, the answer to that question? So the answer to that question is because some value of mine mm-hmm. is being threatened. 
right? Like whenever, whenever anybody. Okay. So like I can always say like, like a, a question I'd love to ask about other people's behavior is assuming positive intent. What could be mm-hmm. a, 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 an explanation for their behavior? Mm-hmm. So in other words, if my kids don't call me on my birthday, mm-hmm. my mind can immediately go to they're selfish. They don't care about me. Right. But I can also say. Assuming positive intent, what might some other explanations be? Mm-hmm. It could be they're busy. Right. They forgot. Yeah. They're doing a surprise party later. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, and the point is, I don't know which is the right one. Mm-hmm. But isn't it interesting how I almost always choose the worst one? The, like, yeah. My kids hate me. That's the, why. The only thing that concerns me, and concerns the strong word about what you just said, is that it's reflexive. To some degree, like I hear you saying it's a bit reflexive when you see some of that bad behavior externally that you pretty much say there's a thing you do. So I think that's easy to course correct should you choose to to, uh, take this mission like Mission Impossible is it's letting go of something. So that first reaction, uh, you call, call that like a filter or whatever you want to call it. If you just let that go and force yourself to take a beat where you make yourself not label the behavior, or even question the intention, just take a beat for a second mm-hmm. and then take a breath. And if you skip the judging part, just if you can, if you can and just mm-hmm. ask yourself, I wonder what their positive intention is. Now, that's a good habit to get into. It's harder to do, like say when you're driving and someone cuts you off. How about that? Yeah. Right. That's tough, right? Well, that's the, that's the amygdala hijack. The, right? Oh, yeah. Like for, I like that. I'm, oh, I'm gonna, let me write that down. Yeah. I like that. The amygdala hijack. Okay. Well, the point is, like, when, when we are in a neurological state mm-hmm. of fight or flight, like the thing that can, the part of our brain that can do what you say mm-hmm. is the neocortex. Mm-hmm. So when we are, you know, when a car cuts us off and we think we're about to die, yep. like literally the blood gets shunted from this part. Mm-hmm. So at that point, like... There's an adrenaline spike. That, at that point, I think mm-hmm. breathing is the only thing we can do. If you want to be pro-social. What you're talking about now is a construct of if I want to be pro-social and I get hit with a fight-or-flight stimulus, right. the first thing I should do is take a breath of oxygen. Is that true? Yes. That's if you want to be pro-social. Well, or, but if I want to, if, like, let's say pro-sociality yeah. isn't necessarily my value, but I, I what, like, what's the outcome you want? That's your first question. It's like, what are we doing here? I'm on the highway. I want to get somewhere safely. Well, so, well slow down. Wait a second. Uh, what was your intention when you got up that day? Did you set an intention for yourself? Like, I'm going ha- to be an 8 or a 9 or 10 on pro-social behavior throughout the day. Did you set that intention? Yeah. Let's assume you did for a second. Okay, okay. Now I have a series of, of behaviors and attitudinal shifts that I'm going to do to support that, uh, that intention. So then when I get cut off, the first thing I do, I feel that adrenaline spike is I take a breath of oxygen because I know I'm not going to score 8, 9, or 10 mm-hmm. on my intentionality if I allow myself to be reactive. Is that fair? Yeah. So that's, what, that's the construct that I'm talking about. So, so something as simple as Here's a value that I really hold dear, and I never think about it until I transgress Bingo. it. Bingo. That's what and I'm saying. And then I feel bad for transgressing yep. it. That's what, that's what I'm saying. Exactly. So the shift in that is, it, and I'm talking literally at the beginning of the day, take 10 seconds mm-hmm. to set your course. What's my intention for the day? And then at the end of the day, you take 10 seconds to do what? To grade yourself. You're the judge and jury. How did I do on whatever metric you're doing? I like to do scaling of 1 to 10, mm-hmm. with 10 being super awesome and 1 being a disaster. That's it. 
But but I hear people saying, but Howie and Tom, I don't have 20 seconds in my day. I'm too busy. Okay, so okay, that's fine. They could. They, so so they're they're. Tell me a little bit more about this person. I'm fascinated by a person uh, who is that busy that they literally say because it's for real. Because you know you, everyone goes to the bathroom, for example, and you know, there's certain things you do where you can actually multitask. But go ahead, yeah. tell me about this person. No, it's. I, I mean, I'm thinking of myself. Of oh, all, it's you. Of, of all the of all the good things I could be doing, yeah. and I don't do them. I was well, I'm too busy for that. I got too many like, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, that's the point. That like 20 seconds in the day. Mm-hmm. You know, I even, I have my coaching clients. I mm-hmm. want them to spend five minutes in the, in the beginning of the workday and oh, yeah. five minutes at the end that's of the workday. That's too much. That's too aggressive. They're not going to yeah. do that. <laughs> but, but yet, when, they're going to tell you they did it, but they're not going to do it. <laughs> well, when, when they do it, the feedback I always get is, boy, that saved me three hours. Right, for real. I get it. I get the value of it if you can get them there. So really what we're talking about is how committed a person is, in this example it was you, but how committed a person is to their path. In this, in this example, we talked about pro-social behavior, for example. The, my path is I'm trying to be a pro-social, community-driven, good, good person, whatever it is I'm trying to do. Well, that's a pathway that gets reinforced, etc., and it's a commitment. And I think a lot of people... I'm not trying to, you know, to shame anybody. I think a lot of people are kind of meandering through with with uh, maybe uh, the best intentions, but they don't really have a path. Yeah. Well, if you're not intentional in the way you describe, mm-hmm. your path is going to be prescribed by everybody else. Bingo. You're, you, you are held hostage to people cutting you off or not. If someone cuts me off, not to be like I'm the, the Dalai Lama, if someone cuts me off, I have a choice at that point that I can, I can engage in my adrenaline reaction or I can take a breath and be thankful that I'm not in an accident, for example. Those are, those are, those, those are my decisions. Now, what we haven't talked about is when people get a stimulus rush. Fuck you, man. You cut me off. Whatever it is, for some people that feels good. To right. ventilate that energy. Well, that's what I was thinking. Like, okay. I want to have been a pro-social person sometimes more than I want to be a pro-social person. Like, Say some more. Being pro-social often means biting my tongue, not not giving mm. in to that adrenaline rush. Okay. Uh, like, you know, when I'm scared, I don't like being scared. I'd rather be angry. Whoa, that's big. Let me Let me take that in for a second. I don't like to be scared. I'd prefer or rather be angry. Can you say why that is? Um, I think being angry makes me feel like I'm in control. I think this is, I think this is, it's. That's fascinating. Right. It's like, yeah, like yeah. so when, when I'm working with someone, their, their first emotion mm-hmm. is usually covering up a second yeah, or third emotion. Right, right. Like, like, for example, I'm so angry. Well, are you, may I ask? Uh, did it start with irritation or frustration? Yeah, I was really irritated. I was frustrated. And then I was angry. It's like, okay, okay. So let's back up to when you were, how are you communicating when you're irritated and frustrated? Uh, I see that a lot in my work, that people tend to skip over yeah. the, those pretty important points. Now, you, make up a good, you bring up a good point about, I feel more empowered or in control when I'm angry, which I think is, is, is an illusory I think that's that's an illusory a bias. Oh well, there's right. there's a saying in the uh, Jewish uh, folklore book okay. in the first century that uh, you know who is the mightiest, the one who 
masters their own emotions. Yeah, okay. So, we're, yeah, I like that. I think we're saying the same thing here. Because um, when you think of anger, any treatment around anger is, is called anger control. Because <laughs> when you're angry, you're out of control by definition. Right. Like, you know, the adrenaline response. And when you're full of adrenaline, literally anything can happen. You can say things you don't mean or intend. You can do things that you don't mean to do or intend. Then go, why did I do that? Yep. So it's funny to me that you say when I feel angry, I feel like I'm in control. That's an illusory bias, I think. Right. And especially if we're, if we're in relationship with someone else mm-hmm. and they're, they're making us angry. Right. That's air quotes for people who are listening. Okay. They're making us angry. What we want to do is control them. Yeah. Yeah. And w- w- when we're angry, not only are we not controlling them, but we're losing control of ourselves. Very powerful. If people are willing to take it on. I was looking over here at your book, uh, The Four Steps to Help Colleagues and fa- even, fa- even Family Up Their Game. I got, di- I got positively distracted by that. Oh, okay. And I wanted to know like, what up their game meant because it's, it's highlighted. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, you know, I'll, I'll get positively distracted by your okay. book. You talk about performance-based communication. Yeah, okay. Like, <clears throat> when, I, when I first saw that and I heard that phrase yeah. from you, yeah. I'm like, Oh, like that's naming a thing that doesn't have a name. That's right. As opposed to like that should be like there shouldn't need to be that phrase. You should just have the phrase called communication. Correct. Correct. But the fact, you know, just the way I like I think about food, like you shouldn't have a phrase for health food. You should just have like food and junk food. Great. You know, this is why you have a Ph.D., right? What's your Ph.D. in? Uh, Health studies. Yeah. So you have a Ph.D. and that's how you the Ph.D. people think like that. Yeah. That will tell you that's a very shrewd observation about like performance-based communication is not something I woke up one day and went, I want to call what I do performance-based communication. What I did was saw decades of the difference between people who tried really hard and people who actually got outcomes. Yeah. Because they look on paper exactly the same. But there was something that those two groups did differently to have different outcomes. And the word performance is the at the root of it in other words here's an, here's another expression performance is not a dirty word what is it, what does it mean uh when you have a, a performance evaluation for example the people are like oh shit i'm getting a performance evaluation what does it mean to perform and do people understand that uh so the the reason i titled the book that task performance based communication is out positive people want positive outcomes. People with chaos, if you really sit down and talk with them, they'll tell you, you know what I really want? I want more harmony. Hmm. Really? Have you looked at yourself? Right. But, but when you sit down with them, you find out people tend to cluster around things like, I want the best for my children. I want these positive outcomes. I want harmony in my life. So even though every family, every person is unique, like a snowflake, they're, they're similar, cold and frosty and icy. You know, there's, yeah. there's similarities. So performance-based communication is about owning and saying, I'm communicating with you and I'm trying to be effective. Right. Well, to me, yeah. it's, it's the difference between reacting and responding. So just tell me that. Yeah. Tell me your thoughts about that. Right. So when I react, you say something and I just blurt out something in the moment to to kind of settle my internal state in this moment. 
Whereas where I'm responding, mm -hmm. I'm thinking about the outcome. Like when you said, mm -hmm. you know, your communications on the Frisbee field, you're always thinking about what are we collectively trying to accomplish? Right. And is my communication, and you, you know, none of us gets it right all the time. Sure, sure. But the question, you know, if we're asking the question and, and it's in the top of our mind, Mm -hmm. Is this likely to help us get where we're going? Is it, my first question is always, is it, was it a thinking mistake or a physical mistake? It's always my first question as, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a sports coach. It's always my first question. Because if someone is making a thinking error, they're likely to keep making that error. Because they think they're doing the right thing. Right. Well, and I would argue you know, for myself sure. and for teams that I've coached, that a repeated mm -hmm. physical error is usually a thinking error. In okay. Like yeah, if that, I make one bad throw or I drop something, that's one thing. I, I, my, my disagreement with that would be like you, you are co-opting what I call thinking error and you're using it like as a, as a cognitive processing error. Like, like in other words, stinky thinking. Okay. Like, like you're, you're, you're questioning your ability and it's, and it's degrading your physicality because of what's going on in your head. I'm using thinking error in a very narrow uh, context, which is there are a set of expectations. Okay. There are a set of, of uh, strategies that we're trying to achieve, and you either do them or you don't, black and white. Okay. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, so it would be a different level of thinking error. Yours is more like sports psychology. That's okay. what you're talking about. Right. Like if I uh, drop it because I'm looking at the next pass. I would call that a physical error. Okay. Yeah. Well, we could play stump the jump all day long. That would be a physical error. I'd have, I'd have no problem with that. I might say to you, hey, keep, keep your eye you know, on, on the disc. Or I might say a cue, mm -hmm. but my coaching is going to have a tone. It's going to be different. Okay. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. So how does this apply in sort of like, you know, business? Like what are, what are thinking errors versus execution errors in, in, in business? Well, that's that's a good question. Let, let's pick a let's pick a business, any business. I don't care. Let's let's just chop it up. Okay, pizza restaurant. I love it. A, a pizzeria. Yes. Okay. A, a, a pizzeria. Okay. So, are you the owner, manager, or worker? Um, I'm, I'm the owner. <laughs> You're the owner. Okay. And as the owner, as, is it a single shop? Per, or is three. it like so it's a it's three, but it's not a franchise. It's not a franchise. Okay, yeah, three it's, of them. It's three in the metro area. All right, last question. Do you want to have a franchise? Is your ambition to have a hundred of them, you know, to be the new Papa John's, or is it to have three of them to have a build a legacy for your wonderful children? Yeah, second one. The second one. Okay, build yeah. a legacy. Now I have a better understanding, at least initially, of what it is you're trying to do and why you started three stores. Okay, so what is some of the things that are you know, Mister. Uh, I'll say I'll call you Smith, so I don't use it like a <laughs> cultural. Uh, what, what are some of the things that are jamming you up? What are some of the hurdles that you see coming at you? Well, hiring's really hard right now. Um, I've got supply chain issues with some of the takeout stuff, the the boxes, for example, or the little the little cups that you put the sauces in. Mm -hmm. um, and one of the stores is in a bad neighborhood, and um, you know. People are a little bit scared to go there sometimes. So be people, stuff, and location. Uh, of those three problems that you just mentioned, is there one of them that sequentially speaks to you with more importance? Well, hiring is. It does. Like, it's it's the hardest thing is to get to, is to find, you know. Good when you heard me people. say before, uh, hire slow, fire fast. As a pizzeria owner, what did you feel when you heard me say that? What came to mind for you? 
I was like, yeah, it'd be great to have that, that luxury, right. but I need somebody to mix the dough to get up at uh, four in the morning and make sure that um, there's yeast proofing. Your, 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 uh, how, how many staff do you have per store? Um, it's about a dozen, but maybe you know, five working at a time. Okay. And you have one manager per store? Yeah. Your trusted people? How often do you meet with these trusted people? Um, well, I mean, really, I started the store, so I, you know, I got three, so I wouldn't have to like be the point person. So I'm, you know, every couple of weeks, usually they call me when there's a problem. Okay, I'll come at it from a different azimuth. Uh, from the customer perspective, what experience do you, as an owner, want for every customer that comes to one of the three Smiths pizzerias? That's funny. I don't know that it is a Smith. Pizzeria in the U.S. That'd be funny. All right. Uh, what what experience do you want for every one of your customers to have? So I want them to come in and feel welcome. Okay. Feel um, I want them to feel like they're being seen and taken care of. And I want them to have a quality experience in terms of food, cleanliness, uh, timeliness. So that's pretty comprehensive. Uh, so I, would, I would expect that when people come to the pizzeria, that the thing they want most is, is a good tasting pizza. Is that a fair... I could, I could be wrong about that. Um, so in other words, yeah, if, the, the, if the service was a little bit like, you know, off-putting, but damn, that pizza is good. What is it that people want more when they come to the pizzeria? Yeah, no, there's a lot of good pizza places. People want to come and feel good. Okay, they, they so, want, so customer experience. Customer experience. I love it. So you're landing on that. So here's where all this conversation leads to this. You as an owner are coaching these three managers. Those three managers are then coaching the other, you know, 14 people or so per store. There were 15, right, per store. If I, the word variability is not good in business. Right. So if, if you engaged me and I did an assessment and I talked to each of the managers and all the staff and I say, what is, you know, what's important? Mm -hmm. And I got 15 different answers per store. It's, li it's likely what would be uh, the problem. Uh, so when we talk about alignment and authenticity, is every person there fired up to make a quality pizza and give a quality experience to the customer? There's, that's a, does it get any more simple than yeah. that? That's clear, simple, and compelling, which is another thing that I propagated in the book. Okay, so how does that relate to, either, to the kinds of errors, thinking or execution? So in that situation, if... Someone, let's see, uh, someone is rude to a customer. Maybe that, how about that as an example, okay? Uh -huh. So someone's rude to a customer. I would call that a behavioral error. Um, and, I, and, I, and I guess at the end of the day, you can certainly have a physical or what I call behavioral error and a thinking error. It would be both. Ooh, that's why, I'm, that's why my voice tone is changing because I'm horrified. I'm like... It could actually be the equivalent of I'm trying to throw the ball really hard and uh, I'm throwing it in the wrong direction. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm making thinking and physical errors. Right. Um, well, so let's so let me let me see. Like someone, the the um, the morning shift person doesn't come in on time, and so by the time it's noon and you just want to start serving lunch pizzas, yeah. there's no dough ready. So the person just overslept. Yeah, that's cataclysmic. So, you know, in these examples, these are, I say that's cataclysmic because, you know, in, in baking, 
and pizza business, like there's a there is a, an ordinal sequence that has to happen. So uh, you're out of business if that's you know there's no you're not going to be able to serve any pizza. So in that situation, I would say to the owner, I got good and bad news for you. The good news is I understand the problem. Hmm. The bad news is you are the problem. That's what I would say. Okay, so now the, the business owner, yeah. me, me in this case. Because what is your job ultimately? What we see is your one job. Oh, my job is to own three stores. That would be the wrong answer. My job mm-hmm. is to make money and be left, leave me the fuck alone unless there's a problem. That would also be the wrong answer. The mm-hmm. right answer would be you are obsessed with coaching your three managers so that they have authenticity and alignment around the strategy, the plan, and executing. Mm-hmm. So that's how it all ties together. Right. So in that case, what you're really saying is an owner whose expectation is this is a gumball machine for money is um, exhibiting the sin of apathy. Keep going. Mm-hmm. I like that. Right. That like they're, that. Not ta- they're not taking responsibility for. Right. It's a blind spot. I mean, that's an easy word to say in business. Like, oh, that's a blind spot. But actually, blind spots really are, how do you say, born out of bias. Like, like you know, you know about illusory bias, right? The, the the social psychology around illusory bias. Like you know the radio show, um, um, the uh, Lake Wobegon. Yeah. Where all the was it all the women are beautiful, the men are smart. No, no, the women are strong, the men are smart, and the children are good looking, right? The children are all above average. All above average. That's right. That's right. That's right. The women are strong, the men are all good, whatever it is. Yeah. That's that's a a a, a nod to the uh, theory of illusory superiority, where we all think we're a little better at stuff than we really are. Right, so like the great studies about asking people about their sense of humor. Yeah, like ninety five percent of people think they have above average yeah. sense of humor and intelligence, Intel- driving ability. I love and it. My favorite one. Yeah, they asked a bunch of social scientists. Uh-huh. Do they feel like they are? Where are they in terms of self awareness? And like 98% of them said they're more self-aware than others in their peers. Their, right. their peers. <laughs> Which is statistically impossible, right? So you're a PhD. You, you think that's funny. See, PhDs think that joke is funny. But yeah. I actually, I, I get it too. I think it is hilarious. Uh, so that is the theory of illusory superiority. And it ties into the cognitive dissonance theory about we're wired to do things we think are the right thing. You know, we're wired for our behavior and our thoughts to run in the same direction. You know about cognitive dissonance theory was Leon Festinger, 1950s. Okay. He, was a, he was a sociologist. He was trying to help uh, understand what the hell happened in World War II with the Nazis and, and, the, and all of the uh, atrocities of the Holocaust. Like, how could people uh, put a sticker, and a sticker, a picture, post it on the wall of their job site, okay, which had a glass window, a small glass window, looking into one of the... Uh, the showers that had gassed human beings. And they found a picture of a little girl where the worker was looking through the window to make sure all the bodies were dead, the people were dead. But he had a little picture like any other workplace. You had the picture of your family right there. Mm -hmm. And people, look at how could that man go home to that little girl every night? After his shift was done, he'd go home down, you know, a couple miles down the road. How could he do that? And the answer is, because they weren't people to him. They were rats. Mm-hmm. He was exterminating the less than. Yeah. Okay. So that, that, that preserved the consonants for the human condition of how could a human being do this to another human being? Easy. They weren't human beings. Mm-hmm. Okay. So cognitive dissonance is an extremely important foundational theory 
that most people understand, but they don't reference it enough. Okay, so they, how does how does that connect to, to uh, blind spots? Because you said that the bias because underlies blind spots. Right, because people think that they're well-intentioned and that they're doing the right thing and that they're on point because they want to think well of themselves. Okay. That's not an unusual <clears throat> thing. That's not an unreasonable thing. Right. But it's not a fully informed thing. Okay, so so let's so let's 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 go there. So we we are well, we are definitely well intentioned. We don't okay. have blind spots, and we want to help others. Oh, I have blind spots. Okay, but I'm well intentioned, yeah. yeah. but I got tons You're of blind right. spots. I'm, I'm keep bumping into them. Right. No, but let's let's <laughs> okay. like we have fewer blind spots about other people. Like we can see other people more clearly. Okay. So there's someone okay. in your life sure. who is um, trapped by one of these cognitive biases. They have sure. a blind spot, mm-hmm. and they're. Everything they're doing mm-hmm. is for cognitive um, consonance, consonance yep. and they want to feel good about themselves. Yep. How do we talk to them without making them feel bad about themselves? Great question. Great question. That's why I always start with what do you want? It's not that, you know, what's your why? I really mm-hmm. authentically want to know what is driving you? Like, what are you super mm-hmm. excited to do, accomplish? What are you trying to achieve? Because that will tell me what they're passionate about. Mm-hmm. Once I know what they're passionate about, then we can, so if say someone says, I'm pissed off at my uh, boss. Yeah. I'm really pissed. And I know that what's driving them is they want to make money. They're like, I'm, I just want to sell a lot of cars. And mm-hmm. dude, get the hell out of my way. I could sell more cars. Okay. Okay. I know you're driven to sell cars. So if I say to you, I wonder if there's a pathway where you could manage the conflict and still sell cars, would you be open to doing that? I'm just wondering, mm-hmm. if that were theoretically possible, would you be willing to do that? And invariably, people are like, yeah, sure, I'd be willing to do that. And just try and start breaking down where things are going wrong. So it's like, you, it's like you're, um, you're, you're giving people bite-sized pieces that line, of information that clear up some of this blind spot. Because if someone, if you give them too much, too quickly, people get resistant, uh-huh. right? Because you're you're creating dissonance because they believe they're smart. They believe they they believe the boss is the problem. Tom, you're not listening to me. Yeah, I yeah. just told you the boss is the problem, and you're telling me I'm the problem. No, no, no. I'm just trying to help figure out how can you sell those cars that you want to sell. Right. The other thing I'm thinking about, and this is you know in in my book, uh-huh. the second step is um, identifying an energizing outcome. Okay. Exactly the same thing. Yep, okay. And what's suddenly coming to me as I listen to you talk is mm-hmm. the other thing that asking you about what you want mm-hmm. does is it, it automatically validates you. Okay. I'm cool. Listen, I think that's cool. For me, that's not what I'm after. I'm after a very clear communication where you are confident that I un- that I understand what you are trying to achieve. And that I am not having a judgment reaction to it. Say you say, I want to th- sell 500 cars. And I go, what, you, you, you can't do that. Like that would be a judgment reaction, right? right. I just want to know what, you know what it is that you want to do. And that authenticity, again, is authenticity and there's alignment. Okay, I'd like to align to help mm-hmm. you. Are you willing to allow me? 
right. to help you. Well, I'll tell you why I think the validation is so important, because mm-hmm. clearly the outcome is important strategically sure. for just like, where are we going, right? We want, we want to put the destination in the GPS. Why do you, I think that's true, and I don't know if I can explain like why that's true, but we, we wanted to put a, a, at the time, it was a man on the moon. We were going to be putting a woman on the moon soon. We want to put a man on the moon, right? Right. That, what, that You can't get any more clear than that other than it was we want to put him on the moon and return him safely, right? That was the articulation. Right. That goal, I, I kind of co-opted this piece, I, I apologize, but like that goal is so powerful because set in 1961, a target to achieve in that decade, as, as he would say, uh, it drove, what's it, 400,000 people to work on the project. And out of that project, among other things, was born the internet. Right. The goal was to go to the moon and back, and we got the internet. Which one was bigger? I don't. Right. Right. <laughs> but, but, but in the context of someone yeah. with a blind spot. Yes. To then, to then, if we're then, you know, so okay, so you're, you know, here comes Tom. He's going to fix me. I'm already feel like okay, the boss is upset with me. I'm doing something wrong. I want, I, but I'm the boss is the problem. He doesn't understand. For you to be in, to then say, what do you want? Mm-hmm. Immediately makes you an ally mm-hmm. and allows that person to loosen a little bit of their defense. And do you trust me that I'm that I mean what I say? Well, do I? I yeah. mean, and that, and that, if we were role playing, and I said, mm-hmm. would you trust me that that's what I was after? Well, I might not know. But, you know, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt as long as you're asking, you know. Here's, here's what I would tell you. If you were a client, yeah. I would not move forward until I was fully confident that you trusted that I was authentic about that. How would I know that? I would ask you. Uh-huh. That's how important it is to me for the other person to know that I am listening and understand what they're trying to do. And uh, to be frank with you, to lay up. I'm trying to think. I don't, I don't know that I've ever run into a situation, even with people who've abused their kids. You think, God, how do you change their behavior? Mm-hmm. People are abusing. I'm talking about badly abusing their kids, by the way. Right. And you might say something of your background. Like why, like, so, that, so that doesn't come out of the blue for people. Sure. Therapy, uh, working with uh, families, with court-adjudicated youth. Uh, youth who, that means like they, maybe they're in a gang. They're kind of running amok. Uh, families who have been... Uh, referred to the Department of Social Services because they were verbally or physically abusing their children. So the idea is, you know, the the the, the systems, the stakeholders are trying to protect. Uh, so I did have done a lot of family work. Right. I just wanted really want to establish your you. credibility okay. around that. So you're just not you're not like <laughs> so that's, that, that's different from a pizza restaurant that we, yeah, just, we just made up. Like it that, certainly that was is. your life for many years. Yes, yeah. So I have a I have a clinical license for to practice therapy. And 30 plus years doing that in addition to all my business stuff, yeah. Okay, so where were we going with that? Well, so the person who has a blind spot that we want to help them. Yeah, that's right. Building trust with people with hard to, to, to trust people. In other words, people who are like abusing their kids. Mm-hmm. And how do, you, how do you build trust in a way to, to affect an outcome, to, to propagate right. positive outcome? That's not a layup. Mm-hmm. That is not a layup. Well, so then you, we, let's go back to what you said was the core message was mm-hmm. assume positive intent. Yep. How do you assume positive intent about someone who's abused their kids? Well, the how do you do it is habit. You said, how do I assume positive intent? It's repetition. 
right, well, that's what, how. What would now, it look like? Now, there you go. What would it look like is simple. I wonder why they just said their kid, they just said to their kid, you're a piece of shit and you'll never amount to anything. That's a pretty, what I would call it. I would call that, you know, uh, bad. And I would say that's kind of horrific in a way, but I would, in, in my experience, it's pretty low intensity. But let's use that as an example because most people would think that's pretty bad. Right. Um, I said, gosh, you know what? I'm searching my brain. I don't see the positive intent. But I got the person right in front of me. And so I can ask him. I noticed before when you were speaking that you said to, to Jonathan, hey, uh, you're a piece of shit and you're not going to amount to anything. And you also seemed like you were you know, pretty energized by that. I'm wondering, it, it seemed like a very passionate articulation to me. I'm wondering where that's coming from. I'm wondering what's driving you for that. Now, do you see how authentic, like I really want to know. Mm-hmm. Like in my mind... And my facial expression are aligned, which is, I want to know what's your positive intent. Maybe I don't use those words because they might be confusing to a mm-hmm. person who doesn't know the lingo. But it's clear to them that, in, that I'm not playing poker, where I'm like, I'm going to get you to open up and then I'm going to go, aha, but uh-huh. you got to stop cursing at your kid. Uh-huh. I'm not going to do that. I want to know. And you know what they tell me? What? Tom... I am worried that Jonathan's going to be dead when he's 21 years old. He's going to become a statistic. So I am fighting to get his attention, to pay attention, to do schoolwork, to, to you know, do all these things. And I'm really struggling. And I'm, but I'm, I'm, I will fight anybody. There's an expression, never get between a mama bear and her cub. Yeah. I will fight anyone who tries to block me. Okay. Well, now I understand. That's the positive intent. Mm-hmm. The trick is to not turn into Dr. Phil. Well, how's that working for you? Yeah. No. Uh-uh. How would, but here's a question. How would you like it to work? How would it look if you felt you were achieving your goals as a parent? Mm-hmm. How would Jonathan talk? What would he be doing? Like, what would that look like if he were successful? Mm-hmm. What's your vision for him? There's a lot to it. You see, all of a sudden, now we're having part B of that conversation because there's no resistance. Right. Why? Because I, as the intervention, which, and it could be coaching if we're doing business, I'm not judging you. I just right. want to understand you. Right. And the importance of getting them to articulate that outcome. Because mm-hmm. at some point, you're going to have to deal with that behavior. Right. Some version of mm-hmm. them saying, boy, that's not getting me what I want. Yeah, because in my mind, I'm thinking, oh, it'd be great if the kid went to college. Like, I have my own bias. I don't know that, that they or he wants to go to college or have a career in this or that as an accountant or what. I don't know. What do I know? See, I got to put my stuff and leave it to the side. Same with business coaching. Oh, I think you should make a million dollars. I think you should do this many sales. It's not for me to say. I want to know what you what's driving you. Right. And so, you know, for, for people who are longtime listeners of my podcast, we mm-hmm. talk about like, you know, helping people change their health habits. Ooh, I like this, this topic. This can be very similar. So like if, you know, if I come home and I see my kid eating junk food, mm-hmm. it's very easy for me to judge. It's, it's right? triggering. It it's, can be it's, triggering. It's, it's triggering. Mm-hmm. Right. So to, so that habit mm-hmm. of assuming positive tent to being able to say, well, you know, this is a tough time. Mm-hmm. For him, mm-hmm. this food makes him feel good in the moment. We mm-hmm. all need to feel good. Mm-hmm. We all need to feel comfortable and supported. Mm-hmm. 
And a even like without even having all the social work skills or mm -hmm. the therapy skills or the business coaching skills, mm -hmm. simply approaching with compassion, I think, can make a big difference. If you want to have a pro-social relationship with your this person, and if you want to have the best chance at a positive outcome, that's the strategy. If you just want to ventilate... Because you're like, fuck it. I don't want to see you eating Twinkies anymore. Well, you can do that too. That's your choice. Right. And the irony is yeah. the thing that I'm objecting to about their behavior, you're just doing something in the moment to make you feel good and you're not getting the outcome you want, is exactly what I'm doing when I'm ventilating on them. A hundred percent. Exactly. You know what they say? The apple doesn't fall far from the tree in that situation. That's a great point. That, you know, that almost any time that I'm indulging my emotions at the expense of outcome, like I'm projecting that judgment of myself onto somebody else. That's tricky. You know, this is where I think a lot of people uh, can tend to, to uh, drop off in terms of um, understanding or, or interacting with the material because I think people get a sense like, now nah, you're, over you're overthinking it. Yeah. You know, uh, it's, but the truth is, uh, I would say you're underthinking it. <laughs> you know, like, like a practice we know practice makes permanent. And you don't want to just do repetitions for the repetition's sake. You want to do quality. Quality repetitions performed is practice makes permanent. Mm -hmm. what, are you, what, what are you practicing and why are you practicing? Do you not have five seconds to set an intention or five minutes to spend the beginning of your day if being successful is that important to you? So all of a sudden it becomes more clear why people want to do that. Yeah, I have found that people uh, in business interact with the, the, quote, clinical material more fluidly than clinicians who I train. Huh. I find that fascinating. <clears throat> I have a theory about why that is. Oh, well, let me give you my theory. Oh, first. yeah, please. Yeah. In business, we keep score. So it's, it's easier to tell and it matters more. <laughs> yeah. So, so my theory is, is, is actually lines up with what you're saying. I think in business, people are always looking for tools to get them a better score. Mm. Like, you know, baseball, like I have a 33-ounce bat, but maybe a 32-ounce bat is the better bat. Yeah. With a lighter bat, it can swing faster. You know, there's people are always looking for the edge, the tools, and they're quick to adopt things that they feel will help them attain their goals. Whereas clinicians approach their training and their, uh, their postgraduate uh, supervision with a schematic like, hey, this is how I practice. Mm -hmm. And any evolution of that, I should be very introspective and I should, I should stress test it and challenge it and wait before I implement it. There's a lot ca more caution, perhaps. Mm -hmm. it's I just find mm -hmm. it interesting. Yeah, well, I mean, I, it's one of the things I love about anything where you keep score, whether it's business or sports, is that the winners... Mm -hmm. Are, are proving something. Like, yeah, keep going. I love it. I, I love what you're saying. I'm all about it. Like right. Excel spreadsheets to me, Excel spreadsheets look to me like the musical score mm -hmm. of an opera. Like right. every, all the notes, the melodies, everything is in there. Yeah. If you look at it. Well, so I'll, I'll, I'll work with someone who wants to lose weight. Okay. And, and they don't want to look at the scale because they get emotionally triggered if it goes up a pound. 
And we got to work on that. We have to work on reinterpreting what the scale means. Would you, would you, would you, uh, before we go too far, would you agree that your, in those, those clients of yours, they want to be uh, more healthy? Well, they're, uh-huh. they're saying, hey, I want, I'm paying you. I'm paying you to help me lose weight. Yeah. But they're really saying, I want to live longer or I want to be more active. I want to be more healthy. Rarely. Right. They rarely say that. No, they, they rarely think it at first. Right. But what ultimately do you find that's driving their behavior? It, I think, honestly, yeah, yeah. what initially drives a lot of the behavior is vanity. They don't look good. They don't they, look good. So they want to look better. Yep. Okay. It's only once they, once they start doing things so that they're more in integrity, then they can access these deeper, more see, profound motivations. See, I, I like what you're saying. I wouldn't call it vanity because if someone looks in the mirror, they don't like what they see. And they say, Tom, I don't like what I see. Then the first question is, well, what do you want to see? Yeah. I mean, yeah, I'm using right. vanity. I don't mean it for it to be a pejorative, but it's a, I want to look better. And, and you know what? But, people, people don't articulate that either because they're ashamed. Why do they want to look better? We all we all want to be attractive. It's a it's a human need. I like it. Right? So, so they want to be attractive to other people, to themselves. To themselves. To now you people. have this attraction. What are you doing with this attraction? Um, they're they're not. No, no. You role play. You're your client. You're your client. You mm-hmm. you now you you've gotten this level of attractiveness. What are you doing with that? Um, well, I'm just happier at work. Bingo. I think you just nailed it. I'd be happier. I would be happier. That's powerful, dude. That's powerful. But then, you know, so then the person is unwilling to look at the scale. Right? Of course course not. The scale is the enemy. Yeah. Yeah. The boogeyman. Right. So when they do. But you want them to look at the scale. Because you want a reality check, yeah, right? Yeah, the scale yeah. or your the weight, yeah, the waist. waist. Okay, okay. Some, some, but reality checks are very scary to people who have been burned by reality. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. I, I'm a right. big fan of data. Da- right. So data-driven decision-making, right? Is that what we're talking right. about? Yeah, that's why, that's why business and sports can give us, so, I mean, think of how many, like coaching came from sports. Correct. Right. It didn't. It didn't start in the business world. It didn't right. start in the life world. It started in sports because there. You know, you could you could actually get more out of the similar talent and then have better outcomes. Yeah, like you know, you can read stories about you know someone like Andre Agassi. Yeah. Was was you know losing every tennis match to people who were not nearly as talented as him until he got Brad Gilbert as a coach. Yeah. And he stopped trying to win every point. Right. And all of a sudden, he became one of the you know dominant mm. players of his age. Mm-hmm. Right. So we can see that in 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 places where we keep score, mm-hmm. it's really easy to make progress if we're willing to look at the data. I love it. You know, I spend a lot of time coaching on data driven decision making. Businesses will often hide behind what I call weather reporting. <laughs> well, I think we're doing pretty good, Tom. Okay, <laughs> uh, tell me what uh, is making you say that. What what uh, what objective points of data are you pointing towards to give me that assessment? And weather reporting is a you know top down leadership. If the owner of the company is giving me a weather report, well, they're going to be a client for a minute because it's going to be a much harder uh, turn. 
because I assure you the leadership and the line staff are also doing weather reporting. Right. I remember back in the day I did um, online marketing consulting. Okay. And I so the first question I'd ask people is, so what's your um, value per lead? Okay. Right. Or what's your lifetime value of a customer? Okay. And they would say, I don't know. And I say, well, until we figure this out, there's nothing else to talk about. Yeah. Right. Like when and and when people started paying attention to important metrics. Yeah. With and they could do so without getting their knickers in a twist emotionally. Okay. It was almost like they were coaching themselves. Like right. The world is coaching you. Now. Yeah. They had a cathartic effect. That's why, to me, the coaching on um, a thinking error, which that's what you're referring to, versus a behavior error. Can be can be so cathartic because once you get people thinking, say correctly, well then the thinking errors, the, their, their performance rises dramatically, and then maybe they have the same amount of physical errors, you know, like say they have a call, they they just did a bad sales call. Yeah. All right, you sucked in that sales call. Could do another call. That's okay. Everyone strikes out. Everybody strikes out. But on that one, with the, with the understanding, it has so much value. I spend a lot of time coaching business leadership to do these three simple things. Three words. I distilled the whole book down to three words. Clear, simple, compelling. And there's a difference between being clear and simple. I want you to fly to Jupiter. That's clear. Mm-hmm. That ain't simple. Okay? So clear simple and uh, compelling. And if you as a leader are communicating through that lens or you're speaking through that megaphone, then you're going to have good outcomes. That, I spend a lot of time on that. Nice. One of my faves, actually. And I get the most yeah. feedback on that. Uh-huh. And people tell me that it has affected their outcomes the most. Be uh-huh. clear, be simple. Cause, because if people, like in that example, if the sales staff you were coaching weren't compelled by what you were sharing, then it wouldn't impact them. But what you said was very compelling. The question was, hey, what, what's the you know, downline? Like, what's the ultimate value of this activity? People like to make money. That's a compelling argument. Right. We don't have clarity and we don't have simplicity around it. Let's get it. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah. Um, see, we're, we're a little over an hour, so I like to give people a break. Okay. Um, <laughs> anything, anything I didn't ask about or... I should have anything. You- no, listen, I, I, I had a great time and I'm happy to chop it up anytime. If you get feedback where uh-huh. people are like, hey, I like this part. Uh, I'd like you guys to take on a specific subject. Mm-hmm. Uh, someone want to play stump the chump with us and send us a business uh, dilemma. OK. And say, hey, we got a real business and we're struggling with this. Give it to Howie and Tom and we'll, we'll chop it up. Okay. They just need to give us just give us this much info, and we can run with it. Nice. I mean, I, I know I know already that the feedback I'm going to get is that Tom didn't say fuck enough. <laughs> so, I'm I'm already bracing for that. My bad. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, in the future, if I need to not do that, I can. Oh do that. hell no! Oh really? I can, I'm I'm cleared hot. Yeah. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. No, okay. I, I I have the, the setting on my Apple podcast is explicit content. That's just the, oh. the, the default. Oh, I was behaving too much today then. Yeah. yeah. No, you're fine. I was too well behaved. Um, yeah, but I would love to actually play Stump the Chump with you where we're the chump. 
and have people send us business dilemmas that they actually have. Uh-huh. And they're probably, if your listeners are more like, you know, like leaders and supervisors, they'll have like staff who are driving them crazy. Uh-huh. So yeah, I'd love to take on some of those. Uh, well, we, we can even do a call-in too. I, uh-huh. I'd, I'd be cool with that. Yeah, I mean, this this podcast is largely sort of, you know, health-based. Sure. But, but these are people who also have businesses and yeah. work in businesses. Yeah, so they could have can... a client who's not, you know, making progress, whatever it is. We can play Stop the Chump on that. That'd be fun. Yeah. And talk about your book and where people sure. can get it and also if people want to find out more about your work. Oh, I'd love this. So Task, Performance-Based Communication. Look at that. There we go. Uh, you can get that on Amazon. Just type it out in the, in the search box. Task performance-based communication, and uh, it gets printed on demand. Like, I decided when I made the book not to print them because I knew me. I would just be like this. I I wanted to divorce myself of that process. Yeah. So, uh, to me, this is the little book that could, meaning like that little train that here's, here's what I tell people. Get the book, and if you don't get one thing that helps you improve your communication, I'll send you your fucking money back. Now, that's actually a lie. Like, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> but I say that. But no, I, I'm joking. If, I mean, honestly, if someone, like, harassed me, I would give them the money back. Yeah. But the feedback is that there's at least one thing in there. Yeah. I was, I was wondering because I looked in the back and it was like, you know, it printed, like, the date four days before I received it. I'm yeah, like, that's right. It's on-demand printing. Uh, it's pretty cool. Like on-demand. Yeah, it's also nice that you don't have, a, like, a garage full of books saying, you didn't sell me. <laughs> like, I've, I've been there. And I want to encourage people, like, like, th- like, I'm not supposed to say this. But buy the book and then give it to somebody when you're done with it. Like, I don't really, like, I care, but I donate the money anyway, like, to be, to be frank, like, like, the way I do my finances. So it's like, I'd rather have people propagate the material. And the only way to do that is have people read it. Right. You know, so that's I Also, the, the reason I did this size is that people can put it in a, in a, in a stocking for, for holidays. Cool. Yeah, it's a stocking cool. stuffer. Stocking stuffer. Do you yeah. not want your family to be better communicators? Buy the book. <laughs> right. That way I don't have to actually talk to them about no, it. No, who wants to talk? <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. And what about your uh, your business? Who do you work you, with? You know, so I, I work with uh, all sorts of companies, uh, private, public. Uh, I've worked with, with uh, institutions, learning institutions. Uh, so uh, the way to get a hold of me, if you're on uh, Instagram, is uh, Toomey Reed. Uh, so it's T-O-O-M-Y. There's a story why I go with that nickname. I won't get into it this show, but if you have me back, I promise to tell the story okay. of how I got the nickname Toomey. Toomey. So it's Toomey Reed. That's so R- R-E-I-D. Thank you for that, for that point of clarification. So it's at Toomey Reed on Instagram. Uh, if you want to email me directly, it's T-O-M-R-E-I-D-7 at iCloud. I decided to go just very generic with my consulting because for many years I own and ran other companies and I decided to to go just sort of off the reservation, just keep it super low key. Like mm-hmm. I'm not trying to be XYZ.com consulting group. Uh-huh. My mission, like I work with uh, former world champions, like I choose who I work with because I'm super passionate about helping people who are super passionate. Mm-hmm. So I'm just, you know, but I, I would love to hear from people though. If you're passionate, I want to hear from you. Sounds good. Yep. All right, man. Let's um, wave goodbye. Thank you so much. Thank you for having uh, me. A, a, thanks for all you do. Thanks for being a great on-field captain for our team. I appreciate it. You've helped me personally a great deal, and you're a great inspiration. Thank you. And thanks to everybody watching out there and listening, and I'll see you next time. Bye. 
Hope you enjoyed that. If you want to find out more about Tom, about performance-based communication, or anything we talked about, check out the show notes for today's episode, plantyourself.com slash 491. So movement news, went for a nice four-mile jog. I jogged almost the entire way and played some uh, ultimate practice in the cold three-on-three on Saturday. And now the difference is I'm I'm wearing a Whoop, W-H-O-O-P. It's one of these wearables. My buddy and frequent podcast uh, co-conspirator Glenn Murphy lent me his. So uh, Whoop is one of these uh, wearables. It's supposed to tell you like how well you've uh, recovered from yesterday's exertion, how well you slept, what your heart rate variability is, how much you've worked out, and to kind of give you guidance on how hard you should go today. So I'm paying attention to that. I have had crappy sleep for about a week and a half now since the the time change, really. I don't know why one hour has made such a difference or whether it was just coincidental and something else is going on, but I'm trying to get my sleep back. I'm waking up you know, two. 2.30 in the morning and then really struggling to go back to sleep. And it is taking its toll. Um, Garden News did some um, preparing of, of beds. Uh, strawberries are nice and in. that We're watering them. Garlic's going in probably uh, in the next couple of weeks and, and slowly but surely clearing out the fall garden. So uh, things are looking a little bit cleaner in there. All right, time for thanks. Thanks to Will Ridenauer for allowing me to use his beautiful song, Sabali Don, The Dance of Peace. You can find more of Will's music at his website, willridenauer.com. And of course, thanks to all of you Plant Yourself podcast patrons. Kim Harrison, Lynn McClellan, Brittany Porter, Dominic Maurer, Barbara Whitney, Tammy Black, Amy Good, Amanda Hatterley, Mary Jane Wheeler, Ellen Kennelly, Melissa Cobb, Rachel Behrens, Tina Scharf, Tina Ahern, Jen Filkonofsky, David Bizek, The Mysterious, Michelle X, Elsbeth Feldman, Leah Stoller, Alan Christensen, Colleen Peck, Michelle Landry, Josina, Sarah Durkis, Kelly Cameron, Janet Selby, Claire Adams, Tom Franz, Jeanette Benham, Gila, Sarah David Donahue, Blair Cyber, Dorona Vizov, Gio and Carolyn Argentati, Jody Friesner, Misha Rosen, Michael Warbeck, Aviva Lael, Alicia Lemus, Val Lineman, Nick Harper, Bandana Chali, Molly Levine, The Inscrutable, Harry R., Susan Laverty, The Panda Vegan, Craig Kovic, Adam Scharf, Karen Burry, Heather Morgan, Nigel Davies, Marion Blum, Teresa Copel, Julian Watkins, Breed O'Connell, Sharon Hirschman, Linda Ayad, Holm Hedegaard, Isa Tuzinwa, Connie Hainline, Aaron Greer, Alicia Davis, Heather O'Connor, Carolyn Jensen, Sherry Olikoski of Plant Powered for Health, Karen Smith, Scott Morani, Karen and Joe Crabtree, Kirby Burton, Teresa Carell, Kevin McCauley, Elizabeth Rothschild, Ann Jesse, Cheryl Dwyer, Jenny Hazelton, Peter W. Evans, Dennis Bird, Darby Kelly, Lori Fanny, Linnea Lundquist, Emily Iaconelli, Levy Wallach, Rosamund McAtee, Dan Picorni, Stephen Leenan, Patty Martino, Mike and Donna Kartz, Deanne Bishop, Billbury Elf, Marjorie Lewis, Trisha Adams, Nancy Sheldon, Lindsay Bayshore, Gunmarit Hagen, Tracy Gulledge, Laura Heaton, Meg from Mama Says, Stacey Stokes, Ben Savage, Michael Kay, David Hughes, Connie Rogers, Claire England, Sally Robertson, Paranganchi. Amy Daly, Brian Tourville, Mark Jeffrey Johnson, Josie Dempsey, Karen Schmidt, Pamela Hayden, Emily Perryman, Allison Corbett, Richard Stone, Lauren Vaught of Edible Musings, Aaron Hasty, Sean Owen, Sagar Nayak, Erica Piedra, Danielle Roberts, Michael Lushton, Sarah Johnson, Catherine Floyd, for your generous support of the podcast. That's it for now. As always, be well, my friends.